Hey friends, it's Lacey and Drew, and today we are going to talk about our gardening progress and how we have started gardening kind of from the beginning to the end, the evolution of gardening with the Grimms. And I hope you enjoy, get some inspiration and maybe realize if you haven't started, it's not too late. If you have started and you're frustrated, that's normal. Anyway, we'll talk about it all and more. See you soon. Welcome to the Schoolhouse Life podcast, where we believe that life is a schoolhouse. Totally. We're super dorks with a passion for sharing our love of homeschooling, homesteading, natural health care, plant medicines, natural childbirth, healthy eating, meditation, creative endeavors, overall self-sufficiency for the whole family. Oh, and don't forget self-development and spirituality. Oh, of course. Key players. We hope you'll be inspired to do things you haven't, try things that could make your life better, and mostly we want to encourage you to never stop learning and let your life be a schoolhouse too. Hey friends, so we're out here in the garden. This is a in plein air <laughs> podcast. We thought it'd be fun. We're sitting in our favorite coffee drinking spot in the garden talking to you about the history of our garden and it has had a lot of history behind it. Yeah, I thought it would be nice to kind of share with you what it has looked like our, you know, whole journey from starting to garden to now and what we've learned and what you maybe can adopt and use and also maybe just feel better about because we've done this for now almost 20 years and you know oh, that's a long time it's a long time we're old we're the old people now that can say two decades of gardening <laughs> anyway but yeah we're watching the pollinators which is uh, there goes a hummingbird and the, the bumblebees and the honeybees and it's just like there's nothing more satisfying than sitting in your garden so actually that's probably my first word of advice is to build a garden you can actually sit in so but more of an English garden. Cottage garden, yeah, for sure. I mean, it doesn't have to be a cottage garden style, but you plan to be a participant for more than just weeding. <laughs> yeah, that's a great rule. Yeah, that's a good rule. So I would say let's start at the very beginning. And our, you know, our starts with gardening and how we even ended up with the land that we have is because we became obsessed with gardening. So we lived in a little apartment. Our second year of, well, all of our first years of marriage, I got pregnant with Naomi in Asheville, North Carolina. We lived in a downstairs kind of almost basement apartment but on the stairs the stoop we started a garden we had just pots just window window pots and we grew i remember what we grew pear tomatoes yeah which the first lesson is grow things you like because i don't like pear tomatoes at all they're disgusting in my opinion so a lot of those went to friends and to waste and um, we grew some herbs and things like that too but but that's that was and the first a giant cactus yeah, giant that's, cactus. That's what stands out to me. We had the coolest cactus. I don't yes. even remember. It was a prickly pear. Prickly pear. Yeah. Uh, somebody we, stole it. And then somebody stole it. Yeah. yeah. It was tragedy. <laughs> it was like losing your firstborn, really, because yeah. we had had that. That was like a wedding gift or something. Anyway, so that was like got the ball rolling. And I remember I had a friend that had some property at the time. And I, I wasn't like, oh, I want this. I want this. But she said, she planted a seed and she said, she planted a lot of seeds for me. She planted the idea of home birthing and a lot of other things to natural living stuff that she, it just was like, okay, I like what, what she's saying. And I've thanked that friend a few times, but I will say that when we did that, she said, you guys need some property because you, sh you would love gardening. You would love being able to do this. And I think that was then we're like, okay, yeah, I think she's right. Yeah. I mean, I knew I didn't want to live in a 300 square foot 
uh-uh. a house for no. the rest of my life with kids and such. <laughs> but then we went, we, so I got, we got pregnant and we went, we moved to Greensboro area. We lived in a town home here and we, it had like a fenced in patio and it got enough sun that we lined the edges of that patio. And then we tied string up the fence. So we were growing all kinds of beans and wait, wait, wait. We lined the fence with, uh, with pots. Win- window boxes yeah, and window pots. Yeah, window boxes and pots. Yeah. Because it was all concrete. It was a concrete slab. Yeah. And so we, yeah, we tied strings from those garden boxes or those, those window boxes up the fencing and grew everything a lot of sweet peas that's what i remember yeah a lot of sweet peas we weren't there for very long and then and then while we were there i think we were only there for six months then we bought our first house which the criteria for our realtor was we need to have a yard that has sun (laughs) so that was what we got we got a tiny little well tiny little quarter of an acre lot with just a standard ranch a bane of my existence a ranch house but we some people might like ranches are fun i like nooks and crannies and there are no nooks and crannies and ranches but anyway so uh, needless to say we started our garden there it started with like two or three raised beds and every year we expanded and then we started planting perennials like blueberries and there was to to be like fortunately the one thing that was growing in the yard before we moved in was this huge apple tree that was just like a ginormous bush it was insanely ginormous and not had never been pruned ever so the first thing we did when we moved in was cut back all these weeds along the back fence and that we cut that tree up and the satisfaction of watching that grow apples that we could actually eat was just like i mean i think more than our little hearts could handle so we would harvest apples off of that tree we lived there for seven years and i think we made the most of it yeah i mean i remember bringing in like gallons of like five gallon buckets of apples and yeah. doing all kinds of things with them mm-hmm. and then tomatoes the same. and then we had got a little like what was that like a six foot by four foot greenhouse one of those like plastic covered ones mm-hmm. we still have the frame yeah and we put it's like too much of a friend at this point to get rid of <laughs> so we just keep but we uh put like rain gutters inside of it all up and down the wall and grew all kinds of uh, seedlings in there mm. and that uh, gutter system was the best seed, yeah. seed starting system we've ever had we just put them each at like alternating angles so you just pour water in the top and it went all the way from the top down and watered everything with fish emulsion and like put stuff in there to yeah it was great it worked really well almost hydroponic but not. yeah kind of and we had a ton of plants growing in that backyard and then we moved we had enough in that space that we were selling at the farmer's market lettuces yeah. and tomatoes and plants and honey we also have bees and chickens in that property that was our first i'll tell you with livestock and what we did there too is we did everything in raised beds and it was very intensive Mm -hmm. so like there was no bare soil you know how we're always talking about no bare soil specifically there every inch mattered because we just didn't have that much and we mulched very heavily which which was a huge i mean it made more production and it made less need for watering so we didn't have drip there or anything we would water every once in a while i wanted drip i thought drip would have been cool (laughs) but i mean with the mulch that we used i think it kept us from needing it that much there were some times we needed to water but not frequently yeah and you know having it that small and like that intense just made like everything every decision we made as far as plants we were putting in there, like, did we want that plant? It was, I think, like, what happens when you scale up to, like, a large 
farm or just large homestead is like being able to mulch and being able to do those things just cost a lot more. Yeah. And I would say too, like if you're really wanting to live a self-sufficient life, people often say they want to do that and they're looking for a homestead. And I'm like, you know, if all you want to do is grow for yourself, then honestly, I feel like that couldn't have been a better situation. Now, if you want livestock, that wasn't a great situation. You, You can't have goats or sheep or anything like that. But to garden, it was plenty of space and we really could have done more garden. We saved a lot of our yard for a play area for our children. So you know, if we, we didn't have kids or whatever, we could have definitely even expanded that. We definitely, and as could we have done were, the front yard. Yeah. We were getting frustrated because we wanted to buy land and we couldn't find any that we could afford mm. or we would find it. And, and this so is many, a common yeah. issue we hear from other people. We'll have to so. do another podcast on that. Yeah. But we had started growing in our front yard some, and I think that that's another, you know, we were trying to keep a nice curb appeal because we wanted to sell the house and then we kind of mm-hmm. gave up on it and we're like, you know what, we're just going to grow everywhere because this is going to be where we're farming (laughs) so if you're in that position i would encourage you to do the same thing just you know think of your front yard all of it i mean yards are so overrated yeah grass is not a friend grass is a foe well it could be a friend all right all right all right we're not going (laughs) to talk about army talk right like militaristic talk about the garden i think in truth though grass won't feed us right like we need to if you're trying to be self-sufficient and you have a grassy lawn you're missing the mark a little bit right sure you know unless you're grazing cattle in your front yard (laughs) right so then we got to the property we're on now which i feel like is my favorite like garden evolution oh my goodness because when we first moved in there was absolutely nothing there we had to immediately cut no that's not true yeah there wasn't nothing there was no sunlight on this property we live in the woods we bought a house in the woods by a pond so there's like all these trees between the pond and the house that we on the like south facing hillside that we you know there was no other area that was clear that we could grow a garden in so yeah first thing we did well, in that, in our rule has always been grow the garden right next to the house. Yeah. Even when we lived in the city, we kind of didn't have an option that much, but it was really close. Yeah, I mean, you want to be able to walk out your back door or front door and see your garden. And, and I think this is one of the things when we talk and we coach people a lot is we start with, like, where is your garden located? Because the further it is from the house, the more of a challenge it's going to be the less satisfying it'll probably be in the end because it'll be too much work you have to walk out it'll have to be like an obligation right like when it's a part of your living scape where you live then you walk past it every day and it's like an interaction it's like a friend it's like something that is a participant in your daily routine automatically so for sure that's a huge permaculture principle too is that zone one yeah we knew we needed to have the garden as close to the house as possible Well, and I think it's also redefining the garden. And I know we talk about this a lot too, is like straight up and down rows, plowed or tilled, doesn't have to be a garden. In fact, starting to very recently as of yesterday, starting to say that that, you know, that's, that's what gardening was, but that's not the future of gardening. That's not not the future future of of farming. Well, we were talking about that victory garden idea, you yeah. know, and like, yeah, and those, they may have been farther from the house, but in my mind, when I think of a victory garden, it's people who had a very small property in a suburban environment and they just built a garden, a few raised beds that they could manage themselves. 
after work, right? Like, or without their husbands even, or whatever the situation was. And that is what we're talking, that's not victory. That's sustainability. That's self-sufficiency. So anyway, it just goes back to like, like just make it a part of your daily routine. Because if you have a full-time job and then you have to go out to the garden when you get home, like it's just more likely if it's further that you're just not going to do it. Well, and when you have those like plowed rows, you're Mm. automatically inviting weeds. Yeah. And you're automatically going to, it's just not enjoyable. It's the bat. You're. It's like the first battle in a, a war against the garden or a war against nature. <laughs> like, and the idea is ultimately we don't want to have a battle. We want to work with nature, yes. not battle nature. Mm. So when you start like designing things on curves and circles and squiggles, like mm-hmm. you don't see straight lines in nature. Or many flat, like I know a lot of times when we first moved here, I thought, well, there's no real good flat area to have a garden or really anything because we're a very hilly property. We're we really just don't have You're either going up spots. or down. You're either going up or down, <laughs> which is actually beautiful. You know, it feels very mountainous, even though we're in the Piedmont. But that's kind of true across the board. Unless you live in a subdivision where they literally flattened everything, it's likely that you have a terrain that you need to deal with that isn't just flat, right? So now we have to work within the context of, okay, so what way is water flowing and how can I put these raised beds in at an angle? Because raised beds on a hill are much different than raised beds on a flat grassy area, right? So it's just a lot of different things that you need to take into consideration, but think of them as favorable. Think of them as things that are working for you instead of against you and you'll start to see new possibilities. Yeah. But we've done both sides of that. We have. So So first thing we started with as far as gardening out here was we put in, we decided we'd do a hugel culture. Well, we took down all those trees. Yeah, we took down all those trees and we hand dug. We uh, hand dug so many things. Oh, we've only hand dug really. We're kind of opposed to machinery. One, because we can't afford to buy it. (laughs) Or run it. (laughs) or, Or let me rephrase that. We could afford to buy it, but we can't justify buying it when... It seems like renting it is probably the smarter thing. Mm. But there's just so much destruction. Yeah. Because in the wake of you having a nice hole, you have these ruts, ruts of tires yeah. and all of the mud yeah. and mess. And so it's just a very huge impact. Now, I think that there is an effective way to use it. I think I heard was Ben Fox Oil say, to soil. Oil to soil. And I, I, he said that, you know, when you're first setting up your property or setting up a new infrastructure, then it makes sense. But once you have your infrastructure kind of set, it's difficult to even like if you saw our garden now, it'd be impossible to get a backhoe or any other right. kind of thing in here. Yeah, it's almost impossible to get a mower in here (laughs) (laughs) which is like you know something that Lacey and I like to battle each other on so the hugel culture was the first thing and we I think we're sitting on the hugel culture right now we're sitting yeah right about where the hugel culture is and if you don't know what that is you basically dig a hole in the ground a trench fill it with sticks then cover that and then you plant into that and it works like basically a giant sponge and the idea is you like don't have to water. The fertility gets really high. The microbiome in the soil just goes crazy. And for years you can grow in there and mm. eventually just kind of start shrinking and shrinking. Mm. And but, but it also creates these different microclimates. Yeah. So the front side, you know, if you're facing south, has all the south facing. And then the back side, you know, you can do more like lettuces and cold weather things. So, yeah, it's a really neat and, and beautiful. And you, people have made them like ginormous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you can make them like eight, ten feet tall. I mean, you can. Which not, can be easier to garden if, you know, you don't have to like bend over. Bend over, yeah. yeah. And one, and a lot of people put like perennials in it, like blueberries or even like a fruit tree and then some berries. And then it, it's just like a living organism that 
you just kind of once it gets established you're just kind of done with it and you just get to harvest it i think what i love about that is this idea of taking that fertility that was above the soil and putting it below the soil instead of like instead of i don't know get it taking that organic material off your farm to the mulcher or you know whatever burning it or burning it you're using it again and you're replenishing the earth below with this you know what it already has created one time right so it's just like a kind of a nice cycle but you know we didn't have the best agriculture no we learned a lot of things like one you have to make sure that all the sticks are inside if there's like if there's one stick from the inside that's poking out of the soil it almost works like a straw Mm -hmm. to suck the moisture out of your agriculture which then it you know it doesn't work you have to have moist soil for all the bacteria and everything to be happy Yeah. yeah Yeah. So they're trying to think next. We also terraced the hillside. Yeah, we did terrace the hillside. But I would say after the hookah culture, though, we we went big and it was like 50 feet wide by like 75 feet long. We rented a tiller and tilled the whole thing, like these long rows. In, on uh, contour. On contour. But it was exhausting. I remember doing that. and It, it was, was so much work. So hot. So much work. And then the rabbits were eating everything, so we had to put up, like, a little rabbit fence around the whole thing. Wow. And then the weeds took over. The weeds. The weeds won. The weeds won. I mean, it, it was, the reality was we had just tilled up and did not have the time to go out there every day and fight the weeds. We did do some really good things in this area, though. We got goats, we got pigs, and we got chickens all through the area several times for the first two or three years. Was that after or before we tilled it that big time? Uh, I think that was after. Because then we ended up taking out the rabbit fence and we were like, okay, this isn't working. Yeah. <laughs> and then we grew some things like pumpkins did really well one year. And we were just talking with the kids, watermelons once. So, you know, some things that were sprawling did okay. But but the regular veggies, we just couldn't conquer the weeds enough to, to make it happen. No, we just took very much that traditional, like, we're going to do a giant country garden. That's, mm-hmm. you know, you drive through the country and you see these, like, big, giant, Well, here, how do co- giant country gardens work? Well, and that was the reality. Seven dust. Seven dust, herbicide. Yeah, fungicides, pesticides. Fertilizers. Yeah, I know it. And tillers, lots of tillers. And it, it, I think after that, we both were just like, this is not what we want to do. And so mm-hmm. we completely did stop that and just really scaled back. Yeah, we actually went a few years without much of a garden at all. We did. We focused on perennials because mm-hmm. we had just moved out here and we wanted things like grapes and blueberries and mm-hmm. apple trees and all of that. And that does take a lot of work, too. Mm-hmm. And now we're sitting here, we've like this week we've harvested, I think we were saying maybe like four to five gallons of blackberries off of our blackberry bushes mm-hmm. and grapes are getting ready to come in. And mm-hmm. It's, we had a lot of blueberries. So Yeah, the structure of our garden is very, very different than what we started. And I think that one of the things, like we talked about this, con- we've talked about context a lot, right? Like what is your your farm context or your garden context and being able to participate in the garden is a huge element for for me and so I don't want to just look out and see rows I want to look out and see something that entices me to come participate right and I want other people to come participate so when we have people come to our garden I think it's a there's a sense of curiosity of like ooh, what's in that tunnel and what's you know, what's blooming over there. And so I want that to happen. And I think that we're, you know, this year better than any other year that's happening. When people come, they are curious and they want to, you know, pull up a chair and sit here and drink coffee or, and listen to the little Creek running in the background or whatever. So, you know, it's been a work in progress for these last nine years that we've lived here, but it doesn't look like a structured garden. Like you would think like a, we had, we do have four raised beds that are in a sort of a 
outer circle around our herb spiral, which is sort of the center focal point. And we really tried to line that up. There's nothing perfect about it. <laughs> Keep that in mind. But so that, you know, our house overlooks this whole garden on out the back south facing window side. So we, you know, I stood in the window up there and said, Drew, there's the center, right? We kind of tried to find the center. And then there's a lot of meandering paths and a lot of unstructured looking things. I actually have a book called The Free-Spirited Gardener and I really feel like that's a pretty accurate description of what we've built here. Yeah, I, I just kind of keep like more thinking of it as like a that English garden, you know, where you would walk through it and there would be like intentional focal points. Mm. And I want to like kind of keep developing that in our mm -hmm. garden. And I think that that makes gardening a lot more fun. Like instead of it just being weeding and harvesting, I love harvesting, but the weeding can be just intense. But when you say, okay, I'm going to have pathways that are grass and I'll just mow that grass mm. and then plant your plants intense enough that you don't have to weed that much. And planning for that, like planning your rows wide enough for a mower to fit through. Right. right. That's... Yeah. Or so tight that weeds don't have a spot. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in the years to come, maybe we'll get really fancy and put down some of that compacted gravel stuff or something. But in the meantime, you know, I like walking barefoot through the garden. That's another goal is to have a barefoot-friendly garden, and we're really there, I feel like, this yeah. year is... This is it? We made it. There. <laughs> but yeah, so we have a lot of tunnels. We have a lot of cattle panels that we've hooped over to be... Blackberry trellis yeah. and grape trellis. And then there's lots of trellises for beans to grow on. And, and we do have a garden tower that towers a little bit higher than everything else. And so it's just a lot of, and it looks different every season, right? But this season right now, I have fennel growing where I don't want it, <laughs> but I, it is beautiful. So when it, when it goes more dormant, I'll move that out of the, cause it's kind of blocking the view a little bit, but it is, a, it's a pollinator, like crazy pollinator friendly. I won't let Lacey take it down right now. Cause it's one of my it's favorites. Blooming. It's like. The fennel, the the leaves are like this bluish green, and then the bronze, 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 fennel. yeah, mm -hmm. and then the flowers are like a yellow, mm -hmm. and the like contrast is just so beautiful, and it sits like kind of right in front of us, mm -hmm. and I just I love the look of it. So it's when you start thinking about your garden that way, like what do you want it to look like? Do you want to like Lacey said, it, if everybody designed their garden so that they could just sit in them and enjoy them, mm. on top of harvesting. I think the reality then is that you're like, if you stop and think about it, you're participating with nature, you're participating with the garden, you're becoming part of it rather than taking mm -hmm. from it. And well, and I think too, in permaculture, one of the biggest ideals that they emphasize is observation, right? And if we're weeding or harvesting, we're not observing, we're, we're doing. And so observing really requires you to sit down and there, we have had so many thoughts and ideas and evolutions just by sitting in front of our garden and having these conversations and it's made all the difference, right? Like it, that is what we love to do. And also what I think benefits our souls and benefits the, the soul of the garden. So, so yeah, I don't know if it, yeah. If it makes sense for you to put a chair just right now in your garden somewhere where you can sit and enjoy the morning shade or the evening shade, I encourage you to really just make that a part of your regular routine because the garden isn't just about, you know, these like kind of sustainable things. It's more sustainability for the soul also, right? Because the less intimate we are with the garden, the more annoyed with it we'll become. <laughs> yeah, I would say like that's a great like thing to think about is like take a chair out to your garden and sit in your garden. Mm. 
and is it enjoyable? And if it's not, what can you do to make it enjoyable? Mm. And, you know, start there. Yeah, don't just go out to your garden to work yep. for a minute. Right. I, <laughs> it's I, hard because you look around and you're like, oh, there's a weed. Oh, right? there's a whatever, right? Like a white butterfly. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that and my blood pressure goes up when I see, you know, the Japanese beetles destroying a zinnia plant. But, you know, the truth is, even though they've taken one or two, there's still way more that are blooming and look amazing. So, yeah. Anyway. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I feel like we could probably go on for yeah. longer. But let's call <laughs> it quits for today. I hope you got some great ideas and thoughts about how to make the most of your gardening and maybe just, you know, be more at ease within it. Yeah. And if you like this podcast or it's helpful, please leave us a review on whatever your listening platform is and uh, share it on your favorite social media source. Tag us on it. We'd love to see uh, who's sharing and um, just be part of the community online also. Yeah. Also, right. don't forget we have the Academy and we would love for you to participate. This is a great way for us to kind of one-on-one talk to you about your garden, help you come up with a plan that meets your specific needs and helps you come become more, you know, in tune with what's going on and really get the maximum out of it. Whether it's gardening or homesteading at large, we're excited to help you. The Academy is a great resource and we hope you'll check it out. And we'll put a link in the show notes to that. All right. Have a great day.